Hello again to everyone. We are thankful for another opportunity to look into and study the marvelous Word of God. We hope and pray that God would strengthen us as we look at this, that we might be able to also help you and to help your understanding of the good Word of God. We are in 2 Kings chapter number 3. We got down to verse 13. We saw that Jehoram, the king of Israel, had gotten Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom to go to war with him against Moab, who had rebelled against his commandment and his word. And they are going to go unto battle, and they're going to fight to bring Moab back into subjection. But they've come this way, and they've not had water, and all of their army is about to perish. And they've sought, and God had provided Elisha in the camp. And they're seeking Elisha, where we left off last time. And in verse number 13, And Elisha said unto the king of Israel, What have I to do with thee? Get thee to the prophets of thy father, and to the prophets of thy mother. And the king of Israel said unto him, Nay, For the Lord hath called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. And Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts liveth before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would not look toward thee nor see thee. But now bring me a minstrel. And it came to pass, when the minstrel played, that the hand of the Lord came upon him. And so we'll look at these three verses for just a minute. And so Elisha says to Jehoram, Why have you come to me? Go to the prophets of your mother and your father. Go find those prophets of Baal. What a a cutting statement made by Elisha here. Look, you've served Baal and you've worshipped him when everything is good. Now when there's trouble, when there's affliction, why don't you go serve him? And why don't you seek of him? You see the goodness that flows from the hand of God. It's easy for us to attribute that to the idol and to those that are not gods. As long as things are going good, why, it's our strength, it's our wisdom It's all of our hard work. It's all of our goodness. Those things are what's provided these good times. And God is not thanked nor honored for the goodness that comes from his hand. But boy, isn't it something when trouble and affliction comes. As here, God's brought them into affliction. There's a realization here that those prophets are not able to help us in the need that we have here. We need to inquire of God because only God can bring deliverance. It'd be good to recognize that it's only through God that we have anything. That that would be a good recognition. So the king says, no, Lord, no, Elisha, we're not gonna inquire of those. It's the Lord that's done this. The Lord's brought us to here. And that's always true. There's no place that man can be 
that it can't be said that God has brought us here. It's all according to his foreordained and predestined plan that he's brought them to this place. God's brought us here and it's God that we ought to inquire. Could we not always, every day and in every situation say that testimony? God's brought me here. I don't know if, you know, you think of the conviction of sin and the, the call of God unto his son Jesus. Have you ever heard anybody that God has genuinely and truly by the Spirit convicted and drew to his son Jesus say, well, we need to go and try to do a little better? No, the, the work of God and the call of God, it produces a need to seek God. And that's what the Lord has done here. God, Jehovah, has brought them to such a place that they're going to seek God and not bail any longer. They've come to Elisha for help. And Elisha with another cutting blow to Jehoram. He says, if it wasn't for Jehoshaphat, I would have no mind for you. Now the presence of Jehoshaphat, the godly king of Judah, is the reason that God produces an answer of good and deliverance here. I think that's made plain by the scripture. And I believe this is the case that what's holding the nation together today is the presence and prayer of the church and if there was no church nor good, I believe God would have took America down long ago. It ought to be recognized that the blessing of God is not upon evil for evil to be continued, but it's the presence of the godly that continues the goodness of God upon our world. God's called his church out, and for their sake, he's merciful upon the world. Because when the kingdom's in trouble... The godly suffer with it. When Israel's carried down to Babylon, Jeremiah goes with them. And so God is merciful and long-suffering for his people's sake. He's mindful of the country because of his people that dwell amongst the country. Thank God for that. My God, when he says we're the apple of his eye, the church is the apple of the eye of God, and it's unto them that he seeks to do good. But when the day comes that judgment does fall, his people can remember we're still the apple of God's eye. Thank God for that. But I wouldn't look toward thee. I wouldn't be mindful of thee if it were not for Jehoshaphat. This is not for your goodness but this is for the, the sake of God's elect and anointed that I'm looking your way. Bring me now a minstrel. Now, this sounds strange, doesn't it? Elisha doesn't just provide an answer and God doesn't just, just, just appear on top of him. But he says, bring me somebody that can play some music and let me hear that, that God might speak and move upon me. 
And maybe, you know, I, I recognize singing can and often is overdone. When we gather together at the house of God, whether it be for a regular service or revival, and we sing for an hour, and the people are wore out, and they're unable to give attention to the word of God, I realize that is a far overdone use of song for worship of God. But that does not mean that singing and worship of God through song through music, is not right. David uh, wrote a multitude of psalms, and we have in our Bible the Old Testament songbook, 150 songs that were written by inspiration of God, that God gave songs that man could worship. And not just in the psalms, but we see Moses with a song. And we see others in the Old Testament sing a song of the victory and the deliverance of Almighty God. And so the church gathers together and we sing. And we're singing not for a beautiful sound, although many times it is beautiful sounding. But we're singing that we might praise and honor the name of the God that delivered us from sin and we're coming in out of the world where the world has been on our minds and on our hearts and where we're surrounded by worldliness day after day and by filthiness on the job and filthiness at home and filthiness in our mind and worldliness and cares of this world that's constantly dragging our attention away. We come into the house of God and we begin to sing the praise of God we do that to get our mind off of the worldliness that's continually around us and get our hearts and eyes to look up towards the heavens from whence our help comes. And they're there to get our mind and our heart in focus upon the God that made all of these things possible. So Elisha says, bring me a minstrel, let him play I don't believe he's playing secular music, worldly music, but he begins to play the Psalms of God and Elisha's mind and his heart begins to meditate upon the deliverance of God. How good it is when the Holy Ghost comes by a song and lets your heart be thankful and glorify the one that redeemed you. How wonderful that that is. And so Elisha's heart begins to be lifted up in spirit by the song of worship. And the hand of the Lord came upon him. Here's the goal that God would come down. Not to sing it to death. But the singing is done to get our mind in order that the word of God might be spoken. Ain't that amazing that that's here? The focus is the word of God. The singing is to get us in the mindset to hear the word of God. That's the way it ought to be in our services today, that our mindset, that our heart be brought in by song, and I'm not going to say how many, but if you sing for an hour and kill the crowd, you've sung too long. Because now people's minds 
are on, well, I need to get home and get in the bed, and I need to pack lunches for tomorrow. I've got to clean the house. And we've we've killed the, the mind <coughs> of the people by singing forever. So there's a fine line there. But here, the song is until the word of God. When the word of God's speaking, the song's cut off. And he said, thus saith the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. For thus saith the Lord, ye shall not see wind, neither shall ye see rain. Yet that valley shall be filled with water that ye may drink, both ye and your cattle and your beasts. And so some would say that what, what this is here is a riverbed. This valley is a dried riverbed. And it, it makes sense, if you think about it, that here is a place where water normally flowed through. And these kings were expecting as they planned their journey, when we get to this place, there we'll drink of that river. But now they've come to that river, and my God, it's dry. There's not a drop of water flowing down this river. All we've got is a dried riverbed. And if you've ever been out west or if you've ever studied on uh, some of these places, you can have a dry riverbed and in a moment the water rise up from rain. As rain and water runs off, what once was a stone dry riverbed can become a flowing stream very, very quickly. And so here they've come to this dried riverbed and there's no water around them. They know by maps and by plans, this. if we don't get water here, we're going to be dead before we ever get to the battle. And there they seek God. And Elisha says, listen, make this valley full of ditches. I don't know if you've ever done this before. I've got uncles that have bear dogs. They've got a big place that they keep them. And there's a branch flowing down through there. And from there, they, they can drink their water. But there was times that this branch was, it was so dry and there hadn't been much rain that this branch was drying up. And it had gotten down to just a small trickle that would flow. And if you left it as it was, there was not enough water there for them to come and lap up. So they took shovels they went into this stream bed and they dug several big holes down through there. And that trickle of water, though it wasn't much, as it flowed, it filled up these big holes of water and gave places for their dogs to drink. Well, God says here in his word, it makes sense. Listen, this dried creek bed, I'm going to send water down through there. Make this full of ditches dig some holes to catch this water that I'm going to send that you might have something to drink of. And so you think about the natural thinking now. Well, they're, they're dehydrated. It's hot. They need water. And God says dig. And the natural response would be, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard we're going to dehydrate ourselves quicker and we're going to uh, expediate our death. 
Now, that's the natural thinking of man. But nobody says that. Do you recognize that nobody says that? I tell you, God's got them to a place. Lord, whatever you say, we'll do. Ain't it amazing that God can get man to that place? That Paul, the apostle, Saul of Tarshish on the road to Damascus, going to throw the church in prison, God got him to the place, God, you just tell me what I need to do and I'll do it. God gets every man to that place. God's got the power to get man that is drawn out of sin into salvation. God brings man to the place. God, whatever you say, we'll do. So make this valley full of ditches. Dig some holes in this stream bed that it might catch the water that's going to flow down through here. For thus saith the Lord, you shall not see rain. You shall not see wind, neither shall you see rain. Yet the valley shall be filled with water that you may drink, both ye and your cattle and your beasts. We read in the flood of Noah that in the flood the fountains of the deep were broken up. We see in the wilderness that Moses smote the rock and water came forth. They may be very close to that place right here in the wilderness, in the desert, and crying out for water. And God says, make this valley full of ditches. I'm going to send water. But it's not going to be from rain because if there's a storm comes up, then the storm's going to get glory. Boy, rain came right at the correct time. That wind blew in that storm and that storm brought down rain. Boy, God's not going to leave any room for the glory to go anywhere else. Isn't that amazing? God says you're not going to hear the wind blow. There's not going to be any rainfall. But the valley's going to be filled with water. One of these fountains of the deep are going to be broken up. And water's going to come down through there. And I'm going to be the one that will be glorified by the work that is done. Not you, but I'll be glorified. And so God's going to give water. And this is but a light thing. Boy, that's not all God's going to do. He will deliver the Moabites also into your hand. And ye shall smite every fenced city and every choice city and shall fail every good tree and stop all wells of water and mar every good piece of land with stones. And it came to pass in the morning so God not only now promises water, but he promises victory with the water. And God is going to bring this great victory with the same water that supplies the need of Israel. And so you see, the water that God sends saves the life of these three kings and their armies, and it causes the death of the Moabites just the same as the word of God. Paul says to some, we're a savor of life unto life. To others, we're a savor of death unto death. And so that word of God that is preached and proclaimed unto the elect of God, would you not say that Israel and Judah were the chosen of God? 
Unto them the water brings life. The word of God brings life to the elect of God. But to the Moabite, to the enemy, the same word of God brings death to them. It's the same water. But God, we'll see in just a minute how it works. But God causes the Moabites to see the water as something else. God blinds them to what it really is. And ye shall smite every fence city. And it came to pass in the morning when the meat offering was offered. Boy, ain't that something too. What a, how easily that those words could be quickly read over and ignored. But in the morning, and it tells us what time, temple time, the time when at the temple of God in Jerusalem, they're offering the meat offering. Oh, how that God is tying this miracle with the offerings given down at the temple of God. It's by blood and it's by sacrifice and it's by, uh, by the death of these sacrifices of God that God is able to bring deliverance to man. And it's the same for us today that it's by Jesus Christ that we're able to be blessed. It's by His blood and by His sacrifice that we're able to receive the good of the land. Not only is God the Father working this in heaven by His ordained plan, but it's through Jesus Christ and His sacrifice that we're able to receive it. And it's His Spirit that carries it unto us individually. Glory, glory, glory. Lord God Almighty. See, the three persons of the Godhead are plainly evident in salvation. And there's glory to each of those and there's no glory to me. So when the meat offering was offered, that behold, there came water by the way of Edom. And the country was filled with water. So what was once a dry stream, and if, if you've never seen it, look it up. Uh, you can find videos on YouTube, I'm certain, of dry stream beds and flash floods and how that water, it's a miracle. Here's a dry, dead stream bed. Here comes feet of water at a time. But that comes now, not as a miracle here, but there's rain upstream that's causing it. And oftentimes you see the storm and the lightning and the thunder that's causing this to happen. Here there's no storm, there's no lightning, there's no thunder, there's no wind, there's nothing. But it's God that brings the water and it's at the time that the offering was offered down at the temple. God's working through sacrifice and through blood. Listen, Jehoshaphat, I regard you, you're my elect, but remember this, I can only regard you through the blood of a sacrifice because you're a sinner. And that's there for us as well. God regards us as the church, the called out, the elect of God, those that he saved and redeemed. God regards us 
only through the blood of his darling son that was given on Calvary. So that it's by Jesus that we approach God and only by Jesus. And the country was filled with water. My God, when God gives, God gives. And that's all you can say about that. When the Moabites heard that the kings were come up to fight against them, they gathered all that were able to put on armor and upward and stood in the border. So now they've, they've got word. Ain't it amazing? They get word at just the right time here. They put on their armor. They go to battle. And they rose up early in the morning and the sun shone upon the water. And the Moabites saw the water on the other side, red as blood. How did this happen? How could they look at water and see it red as blood? Some, some would say, well, a reflection or the sun or this or that or the other. And that may be true. One of those reasons or causes, that may be the method that God used. But notice this. God is, he is deceiving the heart of the enemy that they would be destroyed. That judgment from God would come upon them. That's what's happening. God's blinding them to the truth that it's water. And when they look at it, they see blood. And so they said, this is blood. The kings are surely slain and they've smitten one another. Now, therefore, Moab to the spoil. So they look, they say, they say, that's blood. They've come together to fight us, but they've found some quarrel amongst one another, and they've all fought each other, and they've killed each other. Now let's go take the spoil. You know, if, if they're all dead, then they've got swords and armor and animals and food and gold and silver and all of this good. They've got all of that. Let's go down there and take that. There's no sense in leaving it, laying in the desert. Let's go get the spoil. And so you see what's happening now. They think everybody's dead. We don't need our sword. I don't need my armor. No, let's take off all of this stuff of ours and leave it so that we can carry back all of their stuff. They're not coming to fight. They're coming to carry away as much as they can carry. So they're laying off their weapons and their armor. They're going to take away from Israel to the spoil. And when they came to the camp of Israel, the Israelites rose up and smote the Moabites so that they fled before them. But they went forward smiting the Moabites, even in their country. So they come down, not prepared for battle, by the power of God, they don't stand a chance. They get down in the camp, and it's not blood, it's water. But I don't read where they ever recognize that. You see, if it was just some sunshine glare, that way across the valley they see it as red, how do you explain the fact that they even come into the camp where Israel is to spoil them and they never anywhere notice that this is water and not blood? <clears throat> it wasn't until the Israelites rose up 
and begin to smite them that they figured this out. Oh, God blinded them to the truth. And if you think that's not true, I don't know how you can explain this. But the Israelites are working a great victory here. They smite the Moabs even to their country. They beat down the cities and on every good piece of land cast every man his stone and filled it. They stopped the wells of water, felled all the good trees. Only in Kirharaseth left they the stones thereof. Howbeit the slingers went about it and smote it. God brought a complete victory and you can rest assured of this. God will bring a complete victory in the end. And the king of Moab saw that the battle was too sore and he took with him 700 men that drew swords to break through even under the king of Edom, but they could not. Then he took his eldest son that should have reigned in his stead and offered him for a burnt offering upon the wall. And there was great indignation against Israel, and they departed from him and returned to their own land. So they were working a, a great victory here. And the king of Moab, he's starting to get desperate. And he's not going to seek repentance. Ain't that amazing? He's not going to wave the white flag and he's not going to surrender but he says let's get 700 mighty men and let's try to break through and escape and he goes even to Edom I believe Edom out of the three was the weakest of the armies but he couldn't even break through the lines of Edom and escape so as a last resort he says, let me offer my son as a burnt offering. Many of these false gods that these nations worshiped, they thought that the ultimate sacrifice would be that of a human life. And he says, I'm going to offer my son, my firstborn son, my heir to the throne of Moab. I'm going to offer him as a burnt offering unto my God and maybe they'll deliver. There's no deliverance from that. But the people of God's stomach is so turned by this that they retreat and leave it to them. So the hope, look at the hope of Israel. God's going to bring deliverance. Look at the hope of Moab. I'm going to kill my son. I'm going to offer my son as a sacrifice and maybe God will deliver. My God, how much better Israel has. God's going to offer God's son, Jesus, for us. And his death is going to be sufficient to bring deliverance. Moab's son, his death, it can't bring deliverance. Thank God for his mighty works of redemption and salvation. In Israel. I realize we've covered this chapter quickly. There's much more in that that could be brought out. But I hope that the little bit that we brought out could be a help to you and a strength to you. We love you, and I don't want it to ever be taken lightly. We thank you for listening and for taking time out of your day. I hope that you're blessed and strengthened by the Word of God. Pray for us.